0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا قبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على ظالمين وصلوة الله والسلامهم ولا أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جاءته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شاء سهلا اللهم أعن على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so guys, um, you're joining me uh, in the blessed city of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, al-Madinah Al-Madinatul And we're recording this because I am on a Umrah trip um, And the best way of doing this class actually is in this manner The lighting isn't great and I don't have my normal audience And I don't have... Uh, I have some people, alhamdulillah and, uh, But I don't have my shazada And when I don't have my shazada then life is already depressing. Shazad, that is my, is my whole life he is the audience if I only had Shazad, yeah it's like I have the whole world but what can you do anyway, so um, the, the uh, like I said, forgive the lighting issues, or whatever, it's a very nice hotel but they've gone for that kind of classy kind of lighting thing and uh, I don't think it really works, to be honest uh, especially for recording purposes but hey, um, okay, so what i want to do is to go you know almost exactly through what um the actual text itself uh covers so in the arabic um what have we done so far last week we'd, we did in arabic we did in arabic forgive me for my voice by the way i've already lost my voice i'm getting ill now <coughs> Um so what did we say that we translated that it is obligatory for the one close to the qibla to face it exactly, whereas it is sufficient to face its general direction for the one who is far away. So um the real section that we'll be covering over the next one to two lessons is this. ويستدل عليها في السفر بالقطب والشمس والقمر ومنازلهما وين يجتهد مجتهدان في جهة لم يتبع عهدهما الآخر ويتبع المقلد أوثقهما عنده ومن صلى بغير اجتهاد ولا تقليد قضى إن وجد من يقلده ويجتهد العارف بأدلة القبلة لكل صلاة ويصل بالثاني وَلَا مَا bil بِالْأَوَّلِ Okay, so listen to this translation and you can see it in the note section as well. If someone who is trustworthy and certain of the direction informs him or he finds himself um, Islamic prayer niches, the محراب, then he acts by that, meaning he follows that. Whilst travelling, he deduces the direction using the north star the sun, the moon, and their cycles, their manazil. If two mujtahids, and I'm going to, and in a text you'll see that I've left some words in Arabic because it's going to be easier to explain it, yeah, in person as opposed to in a text. If two mujtahids differ whilst trying to work out the direction, one cannot follow the other. The muqallid follows whoever he feels is more trustworthy. The one who prays without making ishtihad or following someone else Otherwise known as taqlid Despite having the ability to do so Must make up his prayer Someone who understands how to work out the qibla Must attempt to do so for every prayer He then prays according to his new judgment And he doesn't need to repeat his first prayer Okay, So um, I'm going to be covering this inshallah in detail The first point then is um, uh, uh, anyone who is in the vicinity of the Kaaba has to pray to it exactly. So if you're in the masjid itself or you're at the Kaaba itself, you pray towards it absolutely spot on. But if you are far away from it, then you don't need to. And we covered the evidences. We've seen that logically speaking, you're not going to be able to hit it anyway. But I was also doing some reading. I found something interesting that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was in uh, Mina at Hajj, during the Hajj, when he was in Mina and Muhayyissab and other areas like that, what they were doing is that he would lie, because it's not a masjid and it's just open areas, when he would line up the companions, they would line up in a huge long line. And there is absolutely no doubt, judging by the length of that line, that the Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al said that. Um, Judging by the length of that line, it was way longer than the Kaaba itself Yeah, way wider like many times and so that would indicate Directly as a direct proof that those companions who are at the end of those lines are Praying and they're missing the Kaaba by by, you know, they're missing it significantly Because if you're praying in the middle of a line as we said before and if you're like the hundred people that way and hundred people that way praying in that direction towards the Kaaba and this is the kaaba. Then you're missing it. So, anyway, the Hanbalis, they said that this condition is only applicable as long as you are outside the masjid and inside the haram. But I mean, the truth of the matter is is that, as the majority of the scholars, all of them actually agreed that, in actual fact, when you are outside of the uh, haram area, in a general direction, is all you require to do. You don't need to actually hit the kaaba directly. So anyway, we've covered that now. Um, and also I want to say the general direction issue If people say that now we're in a time of Google And we've got apps and stuff and GPS And we can be super accurate We can get absolutely spot on um, And that's why we should pray towards it right now um, We could also argue that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, He actually knew how to um, get it absolutely perfect as well Because he had wahi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is informing him so of course that can be perfect in terms of direction yet subhanallah every time that he went to visit people who were praying and um, places that were built musallas masajid and so on we don't have a single report that shows that he was you know telling them that uh you know that he, you need to move it like this correct it like that and he says to the people of medina that your qibla is between the east and the west you've got to understand the the, the, the situation when you're in medina in the north and you're praying towards Mecca down, okay, it's not just towards the south. So if you look at Medina here and Mecca here, it's not Medina here and Mecca here, it's Medina here and Mecca there. So when you're like we're in Medina right now, when we're facing towards the qibla, it's not due south, it's a little bit west as well. It's a little bit west. And the Prophet ﷺ said, So whatever's between the east and the west is the qibla, meaning that actually everything that you point down so once you're pointing down everything between the east and the west is basically the qibla it's the basic direction so the fact that he said that to the people of medina the fact that he never corrected the people who were outside of that situation yeah who uh, who already had masajid whatever shows that the accuracy thing is not as much as yani yeah, you know one one needs to consider it's just general um uh, it's, it's general direction anyway so I think we've covered that in detail. So now the next statement. in أَخْبَرَهُ ثِقَةٌ If someone who is trustworthy and certain um, of the direction informs him. Okay? Someone who is trustworthy and certain of the direction informs him. So what does the author now want to do? He's now basically going to tell us the different ways you can find out the Qibla. He's, uh, he's now going to list the various ways that a person... Finds out the direction of how to pray. So the first is by a person who actually tells him. And this person has got to be two things, all right? Uh, uh, that have been mentioned. Two characteristics that have been mentioned. The first one is that he has to be thika. Uh, okay? خبر um, لَكِنْ um, So what the sheikh is basically saying that if the person... The um, person has to be trustworthy Trustworthiness, thiqa Okay, which is the, what, what means trustworthy al-adala wal So this is page 274 in Sharh Numti' So person who is going to say this Not only has to be trustworthy but has to be certain So if there's someone who's trustworthy but doesn't know the direction You don't follow them And if someone is certain of the direction But you don't trust them then you don't follow them either. So if they're certain of the direction, they know what direction it is, but you don't trust them because they are fasiq, for example. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِنْ جَاءَكُمْ فَاسِقٌ فَتَبَيَّنُوا. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in al Hujurat, verse 6, that if someone comes to you, okay, with some news, who's fasiq, then you have to clarify it. You need proof. وَأَنُّ uh, and we have to actually affirm and confirm the news um, of someone who is untrustworthy Fasik means different things Okay, It means someone who is corrupt, someone who is evil, someone who is untrustworthy But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not reject their statement outright He said فَتَبَيَّنُوا In another ayah ف, uh, 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 What's the other ayah? فَتَبَيَّنُوا فثبتوا. No فت, I forgot the Subhanallah, in other riwayah. there are other riwaya. There are other or The is The word is different, but I forgot forgotten Subhanallah. Anyway, you establish the exact uh, direction. You establish the 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 trustworthiness of this person. And if they are trustworthy, then you accept it. So Allah did not say they are to be rejected, but rather He said check. So you have to check. Yeah, I mean, the, the situation. Now, this is very classical. This would never have been considered, you know, at that time asking non-Muslims or anything like that. These are just talking about people who are sinful or people who can't be trusted or have lied or something like that before. Anyone who lies, obviously, and he's caught lying in the public, they lose their trustworthiness, their public adala is very serious, especially when you study hadith, you will learn this later. Anyway, um, so we don't accept his statement in an absolute sense. We don't reject his statement in an absolute uh, sense. So, فَإِذَا قَالَ لَنَا إِنسَانٌ فَاسَقَ الْقِبْلَ هُنَا so if there's a person who says this is the direction and he knows it but he's untrustworthy we don't follow him and if another person he says that i uh, don't know the direction and he's a trustworthy person we don't follow him either so we just have to check each one okay we have to check each one and that basically means the following points number one it's only one person that's required not two and the reason for that is because this is a matter of the deen and Sheikh at makes a very important point here when it comes to the matter of religion we don't need multiple people to explain that that's why in our deen when it comes to the khabr wahid the singular narration as a hadith it's accepted without any issue but when it comes to shahada when it comes to bearing witnesses and so on subhanallah we find that it's often two witnesses that are required okay for many uh, incidences why is that because here this situation is usually more difficult the situation here usually, most of the time, involves the rights of someone else. When it involves the rights of someone else, then people need that bit extra certainty, that extra proof that to make sure that there's not something funny going on. When it comes to the deen and it comes to personal relationship of Allah Allah Taala's mercy and ease and tolerance is much greater than people. So He's happy just for one person to be able to be the establisher of proof, whether it's a narration or evidence or an ilim or whatever whereas when it's a scenario of judgment then we require, we require two what's the other point that we learn here that if it is only the issue of dean, only the issue of dean, and a single narration a single narrator or single witness is required or a single person is required or a single source of information is enough then likewise it doesn't matter if that's male or female because people would say normally you know in certain certain contracts for one person for one male there's required to be two females and vice versa there's differences in different scenarios when it comes to for example, you know, whose son does this belong to? Was this son breastfed? And the statement of one woman is gonna be worth more than a man. And you know how these things differ. The point is is that in this situation, because it's an issue of ilm, then one woman and telling them the direction is sufficient a person couldn't turn around and say no i need two women for example or something crazy because just like in hadith you don't require two women to establish a hadith one woman narrator is the same as one male narrator if they narrate the hadith it's sufficient so that's also something uh, 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 useful also the other thing which is important is that if a person is um a non-muslim this person says thiqa right it has to be thiqa in my opinion it is permissible for you to follow a non-muslim as long as you know that they're not blacking you they're not trying to play you or do something and because it's possible they're trying to mess around and they might tell you the direction for, for you know but the truth is the majority just don't even know they don't even have that knowledge I told you guys before that often when I'm in the company of non-muslims and I especially when I used to work in pharmacies lots of women older women who are working there part-time very knowledgeable about you know basic things in life and where the sun rises, sunsets. Mostly retired, they more, uh, often have gardens and they do a lot of gardening. They often awake early. Subhanallah, the barakah of old women, even non-Muslim old women. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, you know they're always up early. They value time. They go sleep early, so they're more aware of their surroundings. They've seen an earlier time in you know, generations ago where people used to be dependent more on the on the on the on the visual signs of, of Sun and moon and so on so you you're often like you can speak to like youngsters and young people and you say to them what's the direction or oh, where's the sunrise or oh, is the sunset they won't ever tell you anything and often I'm having to say to people okay just imagine when you wake up when you wake up did you, when you look out your window do you see the Sun shining in your face you know, you've got to break it down into baby language but everyone needs to know where the Sun comes from so you know they should be able to so it's you know you would often be able to ask you know some of the older women or men whoever is working and they'll say to you that yeah actually when I wake up um, the uh, sorry when I'm working in the garden or when I'm there in the morning I see the Sun that's rising in that direction so you know that wherever they point to that's East and we're gonna come to that later and that obviously indicates um, uh, exactly uh, uh, the direction of at least one corner so I'm saying that if there's a non-Muslim, you can ask them as well. This is not a problem. Um, what does the Sheikh say? He goes that So what does the author say? He says that this person has to be certain. Which would indicate that if this person is making ijtihad, if he's making a judgment call. What is ijtihad, by the way? What is the mujtahid? Ijtihad comes from actually the root word of jahada, where the word jihad comes from. And Ijtahada, ifta'ala as a form, means the person who strives their best, tries their best. The mujtahid is the one who is always having to make decisions. Uh, not always, yeah, always having to make decisions. The mujtahid is normally a phrase that we give to the highest level of scholar. Someone who knows a deen back to front and they are, are now given a problem for which there is no obvious answer. He has to make a new ruling. So he gives fatwa above fatwa, he's like the don. These people are called mujtahideen, the mujtahid. But linguistically, the mujtahid is the one who tries his best, who has to make a judgment call. So that's a mujtahid. And ishtihad is that process of arriving to that judgment. So when a person is making ishtihad, he's looking at all the tools, indicators, and everything, proofs and evidences, using all his skills, and he's going to try his very best. But an ishtihad doesn't have to necessarily just be in the in the field of scholarly works or academia or knowledge it can be the one the uh, one who makes Ijtihad about shall I turn left or right or shall I you know follow which way is the Qibla etc uh, so, but the point is a person only makes Ijtihad when he doesn't have definite knowledge there's a difference between Ilm and Ijtihad Ilm is certain knowledge like for example you see something or something that you know by necessity and Ijtihad is something that you need to actually um, uh, uh, you know uh, like for example um uh, understanding the difference between an ilmi issue and the ishtihad issue ilm is you know the direction of the qibla ishtihad is that you know the, ishti, the so the the ilmi issue related to the qibla is that you need to know what direction the qibla is in how to work it out so you know that that is in the southeast or it's in the west or whatever that's called ilm Ijtihad is that you know where it is but you just need to work out the direction So that's what Ijtihad is Anyway, Shaykh Uthameen makes an important point He disagrees with the author and he says that actually al Sawab is that if a person doesn't know and he's told by another person who's trustworthy Whether he has certainty or doesn't have certainty As long as he makes his judgment call, you can follow him as well You should follow him as well He says أنه لو اخبره ثقة سواء اخبره ان يقين او عمل اجتهاد فانه يعمل بقوله كما نعمل بقول ثقة بالاجتهاد في مسائل الدين الحلال والحرام والواجب فكيف لا نعمل به في اخباره بالقبلة just like we would follow a person who is making Ishtihad on the issues of what is halal and haram We follow his opinion because we don't have any other choice. Why would you not follow his choice on Qibla as well? So that's actually a diversion from the text. The class position is that it doesn't have to be a person who is absolutely certain. Okay, so that's the first point. Um, So if someone who is trustworthy and certain of the direction informs him, now we will say in our class position, someone who is trustworthy and certain or makes their best choice, best decision, then that or he finds Islamic prayer niches. So this is the second thing that a person can use to indicate which way is the Qibla. is the singular, is the jama' and the is the prayer niche at the front of the masjid which as i said before you would find in a mosque and also outside of the mosque as well which would indicate the direction of the Qibla and it's very important let's actually look at the issue of the Mihrab first of all um, the mihrab is something that was never around at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it was just the direction of the wall and that was it. And then this was added, added later. Some of the companions didn't like it because it was not not something that the Prophet ﷺ established. And it was considered makruh by a number of the salaf as well. It was disliked by some. But other uh, scholars, they said that no, this is a good thing. This is from what we call al masalih al-mursala. This is for the benefits from uh, this is from those things which bring, which bring benefit to society which have an overriding benefit um, and they really do you know subhanallah people who don't know what's going on they see that strangers to the masjid even in a masjid i have been to a masjid by the way without any exaggeration i mean actually in airports if you don't have the, the uh, airport chaplaincy rooms and stuff if you don't have the sajada on the floor you don't know which direction it is i've been to some masajid that do not have a mihrab and I have genuinely not been able to work out which way to pray. Pray, No indication on the carpet, no indication on this. I've stood one way, and it, before I started, someone came in, it was the exact other direction. So these mihrabs they do help the people. And that's why even though this is something which is new, and some people would consider it technically from bid'ah, an innovation into the religion, people don't make it a religious matter. People have used it only to aid people. And we're not saying that it's a religious requirement. And that's when Sheikh Uthameen himself, when he uh, uh, talks about this, he says the scholars, they're different. Is it sunnah or is it uh, mustahab or whatever? Or mubah. Sunnah meaning something that the Prophet ﷺ did. Mustahab, that means recommended due to general evidences. Or mubah, something which is simply permissible and nothing else. It's not sunnah because we have no, nothing from the Prophet ﷺ. Shaykh al says it is mustahab. It is mustahab because the general evidences, they suggest that. Yani... They, they suggest that it is recommended because there are so many benefits as a result of it. Okay? And um, what? Here's something interesting. Uh, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that has been narrated, uh, at the, uh, you can see this on page 276, narrated by Ibn Abi Shaiba in his Musannaf, and it is called, and it's, it is the, uh, the, the narration, it goes, Okay. Um my my nation will remain upon good as long as they do not in their mosques take altars like the altars of the Christians. The مذابح. Now, the مذابح. مذابح. Yani, you know when you, 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 you put, I mean the idea is like Yani like almost a slaughterhouse but actually technically it means the altar there is the idea that you know he Islam was crucified on the altar so the, the crucifix as such the altar at the front the area and here's the thing we think of the altar and so on as a shape but actually the altar is also a prayer direction I, I, I don't know if you know this but all of the churches technically they follow the Jewish way of praying towards towards Jerusalem right, to the so they all face towards that. You see, when you see a church, you have the door which you walk in, and then you've got the area where everyone's sitting, yeah, the pews. And then you go to the front, and that's where the altar is, and there's the the area which is around the altar where people go and pray. That's the sanctuary. So even in original Christianity, like even in the early days, people would go to the front and kneel, and those churches are all facing Jerusalem, basically because they follow these churches, they follow the way the Jews. However, what's the problem? The problem is that um number one the christians themselves didn't take it very seriously so you had different sects different times different rulers romans some were really big on it some were not and so you know there were some very lax and then after a little while people started praying in opposite directions on purpose because they didn't want to point towards it political reasons personal reasons social nonsense whatever so so you can't trust them that's the first thing and as the muslim scholars have always said that you need that the fact that there's so many differences of opinion in the religion or whatever, they are the ones that we don't wouldn't trust. Yet any in making this decision anyway, so that's one point. Secondly, their accuracy is out as well. Their accuracy is out as well. There's, there was I was reading earlier on a study, that that measured basically all these churches, and um, uh, 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 the, the, all these churches, and they found that the. Um, they found that the the the, the time, uh, the 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 the, the, <laughs> the time, they found that the um uh, direction was not, uh, was not was not was uh, not uh, thingy. Uh, uh, it wasn't accurate. It wasn't it wasn't actually perfectly towards the Beitul uh, Makdis. Uh, uh, so. The reason why the author has mentioned al-mihrab al-Islamia is because he's indicating you can only use Islamic prayer niches. So our mihrab the way we pray, is the same version, is the is the Islamic version of the altar and the sanctuary. Okay, that's the, actually one of the reasons it was set up. But ours point towards the Kaaba, whereas theirs point towards Quds. Why is it that you're only allowed to use the Islamic mihrabs? One, because they are not accurate. Two, because um, they differ amongst themselves some don't even bother you'll come across a church and it's in the wrong direction you might say hold on uh, how is that going to help us This in pointing towards qud's well it would because if you are in near qud's then you know that the exact opposite direction to qud's basically makdis uh, aqsa the exact opposite direction will be mecca so what you would do theoretically speaking if you found a church that was accurate perfectly somewhere you know in sham or whatever you saw a church, or actually anywhere if you saw a church yani in muslim areas or anywhere else that's that's accurate pointing towards baytul maqdis then the way to pray to qibla would be to turn around and put your back towards it and then you'd be facing a qibla so it does actually make sense why you could use it but the ulama say that it's not to be used one because they're inaccurate two because many they don't you know they don't even bother anyway so if you find these two methods okay so far we've got these two methods First of all, someone tells you and they know what's going on. It doesn't matter whether they are Muslim or non-Muslim. Yeah, as long as you trust them and you've made sure that they're doing their best. If they know with certainty or if they, they make their best decision, you follow their direction. The second the only thing that you follow is the mihrab. The so you come, you follow it, and you don't worry about it being off a little bit as we're going to be covering in some detail. Also, uh, Ibn Qudama mentioned as well. No, sorry, not Ibn Qudama. Uh, it is mentioned in the earlier books of uh, Hamli Fiqh al al-Murba' that the fact that these maharib have existed in the masajid over generations of Muslims and they have not been updated and changed indicate an ajma'a, and uh, they are to be followed. Muslims are not to have doubts in it, even if they are off. And that's something, Subhanahu, which is very important. It shows again the strength of the importance of general actions that all of the Muslim Ummah does. That there is a basic khair in general things that all the muslims do okay and then he says and so what does that mean uh what did we translate that okay so whilst traveling he deduces the direction using the north star the sun, the moon, and their cycles. Now we'll come back to the issue of traveling in a minute, but now let's just focus on the the third way of being able to work out direction. We spoke about this last week. This is the North Star, okay? The North Star um, is what they call al Qutb, and al Qutb means the cog or the the, the, the the you know everything, the thing that everyone revolves around. That's why the you know the Sufis uh in 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 the, the science of this they consider like their main man yeah that they all follow and you know he can't do any wrong they call him a qutub, because you know it's like the world revolves around these people like they're like you know they're super beings kind of thing some some i don't know so the point is is that you know you just basically follow them likewise a is like the cog the axis that's the word i was looking for the axis that's what a is and the north pole is basically obviously Everything revolving around that, you know, if you imagine, like, you know, as you as, just literally. So, um, as Sheikh Athameen says, Hua Aslushaykh is the real the origin of something. And he goes, The Qutb itself is the North Star, the North Star. It is the, it's known as the Pole Star, the North Star, and it's also known as Polaris. It's also known as something interesting. It's also known as Alpha. Ursae Minoris Ursae Minoris You will see it written in the comments Okay Ursae U-R Alpha Ursae Minoris U-R-S-A-E And then Minoris M-I-N-O-R-I-S And that's because they are part of the constellation of the Ursa Minor Okay, we spoke about that Ursa Minor constellation is a big one And it has, you know, the Little Dipper And the Big Dipper Big Dipper and then the Little Dipper. And there's seven stars in the Little Dipper and then you've got dunno how many Big Dipper. And that's part of Ursa Minor. Anyway, the point is is that Polaris is Alpha Ursa Minoris. It is the main star of the Ursa Minor. It is supremely bright and it is absolutely the one which is above or as close above the North Pole, which is why it's known as the North Star. And it's not so bright actually and it can sometimes be quite hidden, but it is absolutely straight. And as I said, if you are anywhere like in the Middle East or in the Muslim countries that traditionally were Muslim countries, which are very equatorial, okay? So, if you want me to understand this, if you are like where we are in England or in Europe, or go higher, then the North Star, when you get closer to that kind of, you know, north, to see the North Star, you'll have to look up. Absolutely, look at this light. That's scary, isn't it? you'll, You'll look straight up and you'll see. You have to look up 90 degrees. Whereas if you go towards the equator, it's just on the horizon, because the equator is zero degrees. You know when you use the word latitude? Latitude actually refers to how many degrees up you are, almost like the North Star type of thing. So however much you'd look up at the North Star, that is what describes latitude, the angle. So obviously, the further north you go up the, up the thing, okay? Anyway, I don't know if that makes sense, but the point is, is that if you are at the equator, you are seeing that on the horizon straight in front of you are seeing it so you can see north so clear whereas if you're very north if you're in northern places it's not easy to look at you can't see the north because north is it's just difficult because you're looking up whereas if you're at the equator or in the southern parts or like close to the equator you'd see a star right there then you know directly that that's exactly where north is so that's obviously its benefit okay what does sheikh say? He goes that it is not seen, some of the people who know about this. Uh, uh, he says that um Khafi Min min a bin He goes from a Saudi point of view, it is in the northeastern kind of sky uh, on, on the horizon. Okay, and it's a star which is not very bright. And some of them said that it is not seen illa hadid al basar fi khayri liyali al qamar. It's got to be in dark nights with people who have very good uh, 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 eyesight, and the uh, sky <coughs> sky needs to be very clear. لكن له جار بين واضح يستدل بها عليه وهو الجدي. الجدي, okay. In Al منه, he goes that sometimes you can't see Polaris, but there's another one next to it, which is very close to it, which is called Al Jadi. Al Jadi, by the way, comes from uh, uh, its his name is Alpha2 Capricorni Alpha2 Capricorni which is also uh, r- r- close to it, relatively close to it, is a double star, and it's very bright, much more brighter, and it's to the west slightly. It's to the west slightly, and so of. Of, uh, Polaris and uh, Al-Jadi it moves uh, quite a bit but because it is um, close to the P- Polaris you don't see its movement you see he makes the point that when you are super far away from something you can't yani, see it but when you're close then of course you would notice the, the movement anyway um, so the Qutb itself, Polaris, it basically doesn't move, it's very, very stable, doesn't move around at all. Yani, its orbit is virtually, yani, minimal to our eyes. So as far, because of our distance, as far as we're concerned, the the Polaris, because it doesn't move, it's a great star to use for direction. You know what I found very interesting when I was looking into this, is that um, most of these stars are named after uh, Islamic names. So, when you look up Capricorn, uh, Alpha 2 Capricorn, that's its Latin name. Its actual name is Al Jedi. But it's spelled A L G E D I. So, Al Jedi. But it's Al Jedi. And Jedi comes from the name little goat. And that's because, apparently, because that's what a little goat is. A Jedi is a goat, a small goat. And that's apparently because the shape is like a goat. I don't know. But anyway, just listen to this. He then says. Um, uh, what did he say? So he says that um, there's Banat al Kubra and Banat Nash Asura. This is what is known as the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. Okay? He goes, and they have seven stars, seven small and seven big he goes that um on when it comes to ursula when it comes to the, the little dipper then on one side you got jedi and on the other side you've got al farqadan al farqadan is something very interesting he goes al farqadan he goes back then the poets used to say about farqadan these two stars that they never ever Disappear, they are always present every single night, every single night of the year, every hour of the night. And I found out that this al Farqadan are called Firkad, P H E R K A D, and is named after al Farqad, and Kaukab, which is star, um, K O C H A B. And these are called al Farqadan, the two Farqadan. Um, named after Farqad Farqad is a calf and Farqad uh, is called Farqad because uh, it is it is the dimmer of the two so Farqad you know the sun is super bright obviously Farqad is many times brighter than the sun and Kokab is even brighter so these two are also used يعني, for direction as well and what's interesting is that you know the reason they called it the farqad is because they were so close together, but separate, but close together, and they said just like the calf always you know stays close to the legs of its mother, the cow, yeah, and you know always kind of you know encircling it and keeping close and not dividing, not separating. So that's the the the, the theory behind it. Um, what are these known as? Gamma and beta. Ursae, menor- uh, Menoris, Gamma and Beta. Gamma is Farqad and uh, Kokab is Beta, Ursae, Menoris. And they make all the part of the Ursa Minor. So they're one end of the Ursa Minor. Polaris is the other end. So you'll find Farqadan fil south, and j- Jadi the Shimal. So that's more Southern, that's more Northern. And you'll find that they're moving around all the time, but they never, uh, but they uh uh, they are always seen, always these two. I feel like I'm a star. What was the guy's name? Patrick Moore. I feel like I'm a stargazer. Um. Anyway, this is this is important. As Allah Subhanahu Wa ta'ala says in sura al- Nahl, wa They are la- and the landmarks, wa najmi, whom and by the stars they find their way. So Allah Subhanahu by the star they find their way, and the fact is a najm. Allah mentions the star. He's not just referring to one star. He's indicating that how Allah subhanahu wa taala has created everything. Because in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "Is the one who creates like the one who doesn't create?" Affaleetha Dakkarun is the one. Do they not even think about this? Do they not even remember what life is really about? What they agreed to? So what's going on here is this: is that Allah subhanahu wa taala is telling us that. the stars as in general any one of them indicate direction and i want you to understand something really important that you know when it comes to these different ways if you are in utter darkness with no electricity and that's what you're brought up with and you don't have any kind of way of guessing and working out direction the sky is something which is incredible it's alive it's yeah you're, you're seeing every single change in it no light pollution no electricity well i'm telling you i told you about this before i i I support a movement called the dark skies movement which is trying to you know bring awareness about the, the concept of light pollution and how we can't see the moon how we can't see the skies how we can't see the stars it's a complete disaster so anyway this is something which definitely we need to be aware of back in the day they used to be able to see this all the time work out its direction perfectly and you know, Qibla was a piece of cake using this knowing exactly where north is, etc.
1: Anyway,
0: um, then the Sheikh says, uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obviously created a system there for us. Then he says, kamar wa manazilihima." So then the sun and the moon and then their cycles. So this is the fourth and the fifth uh, way. Uh, because... The sun and the moon, they all come from the So both the moon is born or seen initially in the east The sun rises in the east, actually every astronomical body that we have is to the east of us When it is born in its orbit and they will then travel So the sun rises in the east and Sets in the west, so if you see where the sun rises, you've got the direction of, of, of east. Never eat shredded wheat, and you can work out which direction you need to. Any point the qibla, يعne, because depending upon where you are. And if you are too late for the morning and you see it setting, you've seen it set in the west, you're able to work it out. Job done. So it's pretty pretty straightforward. So, here's so a sheikh says, if the if either kunt, if the kunt al-ka'ba gharban. So if you are to the west If you know If, you, if you've if you seen the sun Set in the west And you are in the west Now you know how to pray towards the east Because it will be in the opposite direction And the sun just set in That is how you'd work it Okay, it's how you use the sun Okay And And If you are in the south um, Then the qibla is in the north Okay so if you are in the south, let me just get this right. There. So if you are in the south, he says, if you are in the... وَإِذَا كُنْتَ عَنِ جُنُوبًا فَلَقَبْ لَشِمَالًا So if you are in the south and the the... the then the qibla is to the north and as the prophet ﷺ said to the people of medina okay and they were in the north and they were pointing down so once they once they once they look down and they see the sun they see the sun rising east set in the west they've got the direction and they now point downwards and the prophet ﷺ said to them that was between the east and the west is a qibla also their cycles and the cycle of the the moon is important. As you know, the moon makes a um, uh, uh, a, a orbit, okay? And every time that the uh, 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 the moon uh, does an orbit of the Earth, it circles the Earth, it takes 29, 30 days, okay? Those that 29, 30 days, it's going to go through stages. So you have the new... A moon, the hilal, and then it's called the uh, the waxing crescent, and then it goes through I think to the quarter, first quarter, and then it's the waxing gibbous or something. Then it's yeah, the it uh, waxing gibbous. Then it's the first quarter. No, no, first quarter, waxing gibbous, full moon, and then it's the waning. Cre- then it goes through the second quarter or whatever. Then it's the waxing waning crescent. So when it starts to get, so it starts off nice and you know thin. Then it starts to get fuller fuller then it becomes full after 14 days 13 14 days and then it starts to get thinner and thinner until it starts to wane it starts to then reduce then it becomes a waning crescent that will start in the east and end in the west the moon sets arises and sets every day and it's going around I, it, these are called there are eight main stages but the people who are uh the muslims especially because we used to observe the moon every single day we decided that it has 28 phases according to its 28 main days because on two of those days you will not be able to see the moon at all the first and the last you will not be able to see it at all okay straight after the 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 the, the waning crescent and in other cultures i read that in the hawaiian hawaiian or hawaiian in hawaii those early kind of maori kind of cultures they said that the moon has 30 phases and they're all different the point is is that when you know these different phases it takes the moon takes up a different position in the sky for each phase and so if you are studying the moon every single night again you've got to think no electricity pure darkness beautiful skies then you are able to work out every single bit of detail of the sky and you've got solidity stability you know that the the moon is always here in the east at this time and west and likewise the sun the sun when it makes its orbit and that takes uh, or the earth when it makes its orbit and the sun is at different locations that's 365 days there at different times of the the year it's also holding different locations and positions so using this you are when the earth orbits the sun in the whole year all the different locations indicate a direction and the people who are aware of this they can see that okay um anyway And then just to finish off this point, some of the scholars, they said that you can also use, um, and Sheikh Uthameen says the people who are used to this, they are actually so accurate that they can even work out the time of the night looking at the moon. So they're able to say that's midnight, and now it's one o'clock, two o'clock, or like one or two hours after the midnight, because they wouldn't say one o'clock, two o'clock. They would say midnight, that's the highest point of the night, and now we're we're starting to move towards Fajr, and they would be able to tell you with supreme accuracy. That's what used to happen and does still still does happen for those people who are in the deserts. Um, and the scholars mentioned that there are other ways that you can tell the uh, Qibla as well, but they're not mentioned a lot. And that is, um, And that is, for example, some people said, look at the mountains, that's very weak. Some people said that you look at the water and that's weak as well. Some said that you look at the the wind. Imam an we mentioned this, okay? Imam an we said that um, Imam An-Nawawi, and before I mentioned the story of Imam An-Nawawi, Sheikh Muhammad shankiti mentions the story. He goes that some of our scholars, when they were uh, in Egypt and they would uh, travel, he goes that eight, about 80, 90 years ago, they were children. They were going to do the Hajj. They're coming from Egypt, which is to the west, and you go, you go by ship. And so when they got into the ship, they were very small, they used to watch the captain. And at night time when the ship was going, they would look at the captain, and the captain is doing the ship looking up, like this. And the kids would like, you know, the people would be saying, how are you, how are you able to work out a direction? Yani, looking up and not looking towards the actual land and stuff. because Because the land actually looks the same. He goes that the stars we can see the direction very clearly of what's going to be able to push us towards yeah in that exact direction so I think that's very nice anyway um, uh, the so not just the direction yeah not just the direction but the time as well uh, is being able to be ca- calculated to extreme uh, accuracy the real lesson here is that um, uh, uh, well, let me finish off the issue about the wind. imam Noah. We also said that, um, but there's, but it's such a weak, yeah, indicator. But there are some people that are able to actually use it in a way. And Sheikh uh, Muhammad Al Shankiti he says that I was once uh, visiting some people in a place that's uh, near the near the water in Saudi, and um, he goes, he was speaking to some people. And they were able to tell by the by the wind and the direction about when it was midday. Midday. And he said that in the early morning, the wind goes out towards the. And I don't know about this. Maybe this needs to be checked. Is this to do with tides and gravitational pull and whatever? Maybe in the morning, the wind would take you. Uh, the wind would take you out. Uh, a, a, a reflection of taking fishermen who would go to the water early morning who want wind to push them out to sea, to go and take them out to sea so they can go and do fishing and look for pearls and things like that. And then after that, towards midday, the wind then starts to bring them back, pushes them back, it's favorable conditions, I guess is the way. And then that would push them back in again. It then, then happens again later on during the day as well. The idea though is that people should work in the morning, barakah in the morning, morning is time of productivity. And that, you know, up to midday is like where most people have their work days then they would go and take the kailula. This is certainly in the Middle Eastern countries and the hot countries and it's interesting how there are people who are living in these kind of rural areas that are able to feel the wind and its direction. The problem is is that there are so many variable factors with the wind and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never made it one of the key indicators for us but we should know it's an option. What is the point or the, or the lesson out of all of this? Um, the lesson out of all of this is that there are many um, uh, ways of finding out the qibla, and obviously we haven't even added that added to this yet. Sheikh makes an interesting statement, of course, like a classic Arab statement. Someone's told him that now we've got machines that can work out exactly where the Kaaba is because the Kaaba is the center of the earth. It's got some gravitational thing. You know, Allahu alam. I don't know about that. I don't think that's true. But certainly, yani, in his after his death, we've now developed obviously GPS navigational data apps. You know. Google's smashed it so we've got been able to now to work out with uh, more methods so all of these still apply plus another four or five methods that we can use these are not limited anything that shows us the way of the Qibla is important and Shaykh Muhammad mentioned something very important he goes this indicates that it is absolutely obligatory obligatory for the traveler to know the rules of travel far the Prophet has indicated, yeah, yani, each area, each person, and the companions. If you go into that area, then you need to know what to do. So, someone who's making bah needs to know in the slaughterhouse all the rules of bah. Someone who goes to the market and then he needs to know the rules of the market. Someone who wants to enter into business has to know the rules of business, so he doesn't fall into, he doesn't fall into haram, and he remains in halal. This is common sense. Likewise, the one who travels. Has to understand the rules of travel, so how to pray, when to pray qasr, when not to pray qasr, and the qibla. You have to know how to be able to work out the qibla. So if you're not actually working out the qibla, then um, you know when uh, um, you know uh, how do you how do you you know how you're gonna how you're gonna actually work it out? How are you gonna be able to get it right and avoid any kind of mistakes in in, in, in these scenarios? Anyway, I hope that makes sense. Okay, let's uh, just quickly move on to the next part then When مُجْتَهِدَانِ فَاخْطَلَفَ بِجِهَةٍ bi-jihatin Then Then al So he then says If two mujtahids differ Whilst trying to work out that direction One cannot follow the other Okay So we've got basically um Two people This is the position of the Hanbali Madhab You got two people who are mujtahids they know what's going on they know what the basic rules are for trying to work out the qibla but they come to two opposite directions one saying north one saying south basically what the text is saying is that one can't follow the other because the other one believes that the other person is wrong whereas he thinks he's right so how can this person then follow the other person no you have to then stick to your own position and just go with it Um, however if the difference is within 180 degrees then it's not a problem so this is only if it's completely opposite directions so for example if we both agree that it's in this direction but one person is saying this way another person is saying that way the difference is between 180 degrees and it's in the same direction but a little bit here and there like 20 degrees 10 degrees then it's permissible for for one to follow the other so then it's not a problem but they says something else something even further and actually this is the class position as well he says that actually this idea that you don't follow the other person that's not correct that's not correct so he goes for example he goes that ishtihad is by its nature doubtful you are not following the other person because you think his is incorrect but actually you're also making ishtihad and so it is permissible for the person so the class position is that it is permissible to follow the other one who is making a decision it's not a condition that a person has to be uh like that so that's what he says on the top of page 282 he says he goes and the correct position is that he does follow the other person not a problem okay and so and you know a person is just meant to be trying the best As the Nabi said in the Hadith Let him try to work out the best that he can What is the correct position And then he builds upon that And that is an evidence That if a person he thinks that that's the right position But it is not 100% certain Then that's okay He follows that position as well And that also fits in with the line So Allah said, fear Allah as much as you possibly can, and this is what a person is doing, he is trying to do that. Um, Imagine that we had this rule, okay, that did, you know, a ma'moom and an imam, imam and the follower, imam is called the leader, ma'moom is the one who prays behind the imam, the follower. Both of them could be knowledgeable, two people are praying together, for example, and they're both scholars, one following the other in a salah, and one saying that I'm praying this way and I'm praying that way, and they pray together. And he's making ruku like this, and he's making ruku like that. That's an absolute disaster. So, you know, the whole point of jama'ah is meant to bring things together. So, anyway, um, I mean, you know, who knows uh, 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 who's right in this situation, okay? Um, and Sheikh also mentioned something else. He goes that you know when it comes, and he goes, and, and the, the issue here is that people are always worried that you know we call it wrong. He got it wrong. So, is it permissible to do that? You need to pray behind someone who you think is, is quite possibly wrong? Uh, yes. Uh, look at, for example, the issue of Tahara, and the scholars talked about this a lot. They said that if you, for example, believe that camel meat breaks your door, uh, sorry, you believe it doesn't, but the Imam, uh, no, you believe it does, and the Imam doesn't. Okay, so the Imam is Hanafi or Maliki or Shafi'i and you're Hanbali. And you believe that camel meat breaks wudu, and you see him eat a camel burger, and then lead the salah, and you are thinking in your heart, man, you don't even have wudu. Or let me give you another example: Imam, you, you, you know, you don't believe that musah can be made over a cotton sock, and you see him make musah over thin cotton socks, and that therefore that person hasn't made wudu properly. Like the Hanafis believe that. So when they see like Yani, Vahabi, Salafi, Yani, you know, lead the salah, they're having a heart attack. They're thinking, oh my god, this guy. Hasn't gone and there could be so many different other reasons. Like, for example, sleeping. Some people, some of the ulama, they said a the person who sleeps without falling into deep sleep, but they're sitting there and they fall asleep, even like proper gone. I don't mean now the whole, you know, that business. I'm talking about a person who's gone gone, but he's sitting straight and flat. There are some people that said that his body is broken. Others said that it's no, it's not. But in all of these cases, it is permissible to pray behind these people, and you do not repeat the prayer. And this is not just me saying this. This is actually every imam of the madhab. And all like Ibn Qutama and uh, Ibn Abidin, I was reading earlier on, said it as well. Where did the Ibn Abidin say that? He was one of the famous Hanafis. And there's a like a, an asl you can use here. Ibn Abidin said in his Hashi and Ibn al in Fath al qadir and, you know, some of the major imams of the Maliki's in Shuru'ah, in the Shar'ah uh, al-Mukhtasar, and so on. And what is the, 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 the maxim they, wrote, they, they they made out of this? al yartafi'u Differences in the secondary matters are lifted when following one another. What does that mean? Difference or, or, or you can translate that as differences between the people in the matters which are secondary, the furu'a. You have usul and furu. Usul means the original primary matters, and furu means the secondary, tertiary, subsidiary matters. So differences in the subsidiary matters of the religion are, are are ignored when it comes to following one another. So if you're following one another in these op- opinions, then they don't have an impact upon the legitimacy, if you like, of what you're doing. Um, uh, yeah. So they said that this applies in the issue of... of He said that this only applies in the issue of purification and times. So, for example, if you're praying behind the humbly, the humbly, he believes that the prayer starts before Juma. Juma prayer, according to the Hanbali, begins at at the Zawal time, meaning just before the time. And you don't praying behind him, your prayer is valid. There's a consensus upon that. But these scholars they said that it's only restricted to times and purification. Not direction, not Qibla. Shaykh al-Athameen says, no, there's no evidence to re- take out Qibla. Actually, any of the secondary matters. Yani, uh, fiqhi kind of matters. The differences are not so serious so that you don't follow them because these are ijtihadi matters. These are ijtihadi matters. Uh, and uh, Allah knows best. So, um, that is that. And what else do I want to say? Yeah, okay, to finish off then, we will finish off by saying, um, yeah, yeah, because Shaykh al he says that, look, they both agree in the obligation of the Qibla, they both agree what direction the Qibla should be, what they don't agree on is actually where the Qibla is, so it's like, yeah, we both agree we've got to make wudu, we both agree that certain things, yani, uh, that wudu is important for salah, and that's what we're praying now. But we disagreed on the spe- specific details of the wudu. we both agreed that the salah is obligatory that time is required the time has to have entered we just differed over when the time has entered so the same for example can the hanafi pray behind the shafi'i at the earlier time yes they can and the hanafi imams have accepted this as well Earlier ones don't look at the later Deobandi scholars and what they say and their own politics i'm saying according to the classical knowledge that's the position anyway um uh oh, uh, and just to, is that uh, the same sentence? Let me just see. Uh, okay, and the muqallid follows whoever he feels is more trustworthy. Uh, the muqallid follows whoever he feels is most trustworthy. You know what it is? I think I can, I think I can finish this. Yeah, I think I can finish this. Okay, let's just be. No, no, I don't no, Actually, I missed this. It's going to be too tight. Okay, we'll call that for a lesson. There's no questions, obviously, because we're not doing it live. But um, I will definitely go back, inshallah, and uh, deal with the questions based upon this session. Make sure you ask them. And Jazak Khair, folks. Wabarakallah, uh, people. Subhanakallah, wa bihamdika. Shadwallah, illahihlah, and wa staghfirukallahumma wa atu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.